Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Rinola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on July 7th. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by all of the Chris's, Towers, and the Welsh. Today on the show, good old-fashioned pitching duel between my guys, Lance Lynn and Jose Barrios, some massive hitting performances, prospect updates, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple, or Spotify. Now, I hate to start a Kokomo Friday this way, but if you are watching us live on YouTube, you could tell the Welsh has not cracked a smile, not even a single smile yet. That's not, that's not normal for the Welsh. Normally, he comes on here, he's very cheery. We just had some massive news before. I guess not, we don't know what the news is yet, but <laughs> there could be massive news coming. So let's just get it out of the way. We'll lead with this. Corbin Carroll left Mid at bat, he took a very hard swing, immediately dropped the bat, and started holding his right shoulder again, that right shoulder that has been giving him some problems recently, the same shoulder that he had surgery on a couple of years ago. We're still kind of processing this. I'm sure there's going to be an MRI, and we'll learn more in the next coming days, but Welsh, immediate reaction is it looks pretty bad for Corbin Carroll. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, it's pretty much as bad as you could get, especially we were talking off air. There's very Fernando Tatis Jr. vibes and Carroll has a lot to the swing. There's especially a lot of back motion. I mean, he generates a smaller guy. That's why everyone forever was like, oh, I don't know if he get power, blah, blah, blah. He's able to generate. He optimizes to the umpth degree. And in that swing, there is a full comeback and extension that comes back. And, you know, if you watch the play, he comes back and the shoulder, it goes so far back that it, it almost, it just pops, it has to pop forward. The momentum brings it back. And he had all the bat speed that he has in his body going back, full extension. And as it pops forward, everything just drops. He went immediately to the shoulder and Listen, I, we could try to be an optimist. The first one was a big scare, but really the first one was just the beginning of what this was. That probably, even though I think they said there was no uh, concerning structural things going on in there, something started and this looks like it's going to finish it. There are you know, different reports that obviously if there's anything torn, this is going to be season ending. I guess best case scenario is could be a dislocation. I'm not really even sure what the timeline is. Here's all I know. I think it's devastating for him in real life. Going to go home, be a rookie all-star. That's done. For fantasy owners, that's done. And the best case scenario is still garbage here. There, I, I would be utterly shocked, and I will gladly eat my words, if this is anything but serious. Well, but it looked bad. The the game just went final as we're talking. A little before we went final, and Terry Lavulo is speaking to reporters, and there is this quote. 
Quote, he has some right shoulder discomfort. Things checked out a little bit more positive than expected. We got some encouraging news. The ESTA will be an MRI tomorrow morning. It's definitely a red flag, more so than it was four to five days ago. He definitely felt some th- something. I don't know how many games he'll miss or if he'll go on the IL. The positive news was the strength and shoulder stability was fine. So, look, don't it, do it's, this to me, Chris. <laughs> the, don't do this. That's what the manager is saying in the immediate aftermath of the game. But he's going to have an MRI, and and the I think the the key thing to to say here is just as we're speaking, we don't know. You know, hopefully, yeah. it's a best case scenario, and, and I mean, really. A best case scenario here might be he misses three weeks. Yeah. You know, like if, if he misses if, the All Star game, he comes yeah. back like a, a week or comes right around the All Star game. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, but you would also have obviously concern moving forward about the stability of the shoulder and whether this is going to be re- become a recurring issue. Because remember, you might not remember uh, as a listener because he wasn't in the majors at the time, but. Corbin Carroll did miss basically the entirety of the 2021 season with shoulder surgery. He had a torn labrum, played seven games last season, came back from it and and didn't affect his development, didn't affect his play. For the most part, he's been able to avoid issues there. But, you know, now we're we're dealing with what looks to be a a a recurring issue. And, you know, even if it is a best case scenario, it's that that doubt's going to creep in, I think, moving forward. And I, I think you you have to. You know, even if let's say it ends up being a three-week injury and he's back relatively quickly, and and there's no surgery required or anything like that, it's going to be in the back of your mind. You know, he's probably going to wear a harness and and try to keep that thing. But like as we saw with Fernando Tatis, you can still play at a very high level with that kind of situation. But eventually, you know, it it catches up, and and obviously there's going to I think elevated risk moving forward. But let's hope it's a best case scenario, and and obviously there's. Still room, even given that quote for, you know, a worst case scenario. I'll also just throw in two quick little things. I, what I do worry about and what you're talking about is if the optimization of his swing, like how he swings is causing part of this and he has to change. What does that do? There's a part of me that almost might treat this kind of like a handmade injury. Like, you know, Trout is out for what, six to eight weeks with a handmade injury. And that historically, typically kind of can be a zapping of power. If he has to change his approach, his swing, this might change the fantasy player, the real life player that he is. Now that can manifest in different ways. If he's not, you know, full back extension and maybe selling a little bit and it's just more contact, it's less homers, he can steal more bases. But to your point, it creates so much worry across the board, even if there's good news in there that it's just a huge bummer. But Frank did get to do every fantasy owner's favorite thing when you have friends in a league. Now, Frank didn't do this, but this is what I would do to my best friend, Scott Bogman, is you get to break the worst news. There's nothing more magical outside of winning a fantasy championship. I don't know about you two. There's nothing more magical than getting to break devastating news to your best of friends, knowing that you broke their heart, but you just like did it just a tiny bit. You're just like, hey, did you hear? And Frank got to do that because he I had turned away for a second and he went uh, cry face Carol. And I went, Oh my God. And this was about 20 minutes ago, by the way. So congratulations, Frank. You got everybody's dream. Oh, who do you think I am? Well, you think I uh, get some kind of enjoyment out of, uh, you know, breaking this terrible news to you. It's look, it sucks. No matter what way you want to put it, whether you're a Diamondbacks fan or a fantasy player, obviously baseball has been awesome this season with Corbin Carroll playing uh, the third overall player in Roto. Heading into Thursday night, the sixth best hitter in head-to-head points leagues. Obviously, he has been amazing. We're speculating right now. We'll get more news in the coming days. But the immediate reaction from us is, you know, it's it looks like this could be pretty bad. Manager Tori Lavulo sounds like he's a little bit more optimistic on Corbin Carroll. With that being said, let's get into the rest of Thursday's action. Get up! Get up! Let's go! All right, let's start with, uh, who do you guys have? Let's start with Towers, player of the night. Oh, gosh, there are a lot of options tonight, but I'm going to go with Lance Lynn, who had a masterful masterful performance in a real pitching duel between him and Jose Barrios. That game went into the 11th inning with a scoreless tie. Jose Barrios and Lance Lynn didn't pitch 11 innings, but they both went seven shutout innings, allowing one hit, Lance Lynn in particular, 
11 strikeouts to one walk. He had 25 swinging strikes, 12 of them on his four seam fastball. It was a heck of a performance. The Blue Jays are not a bad offense, certainly, but we've seen pitchers have some success against them over the past uh, couple of weeks in particular. So that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, it's a, it's been a real weird season for Lance Lynn, but that is now what two dominant performances in his last four. The problem is he sandwiched that around a start where he was fine. Five and two thirds innings, three on runs. And then another one where he gave up five runs in uh, six innings with three home runs allowed. So I don't know how you can feel any amount of confidence about Lance Lynn right now, but you feel better about him than you did in like early May, late May, right? I think so. I mean, I was kind of holding on to hope all of that time. Basically, until we got to just recently, I was just kind of like broken when it came to Lance Lynn. He had that awesome start with the, what was it, 16 strikeouts and then two kind of clunkers after that. And I was just talking with Scott recently and I said, man, I, I'm done, man. I got Lance Lynn fatigue. It's just such a weird season. He has 127 strikeouts. That is the fifth most in all of baseball. Yet he has an ERA over six and a 1.42 whip. And the crazy part is that he's kind of earned those numbers. 1.9 home runs per nine. That's tied yeah, for yeah. second most among qualified starting pitchers. You look at his, okay, 477 XERA. Maybe he's been a little bit unlucky. That's still a really bad number. That, that's one of those things when you have a 477 XERA, like, okay, yeah, you've been a little unlucky. You haven't been that unlucky, right? Like when you're earning, when you, when you have a 429 expected Woba, which I believe is the worst among starting pitchers uh, on contact. Yeah, you're going to have starts where you give up a few more runs than you should. He's been there. Are, he has not been without promise this season for sure, but he's been bad. Like he, he's, yeah. he's been bad in a way that he deserves his results. He's been bad in most ways outside of strikeouts. <laughs> That's basically it. He's given you strikeouts. He's really given you nothing else. This is Lance Lynn that we're talking about. I've seen you know some rumors that he could get moved. I think it makes total sense, right? The White Sox aren't really going anywhere. This is a pitcher in his mid-30s. Maybe he gets shifted off, off to Baltimore or something like Cincinnati. Another they team should that trade him pitch. tonight. Yes, they absolutely should. And Maybe tomorrow morning. Be a fantasy owner, just like a fantasy person. Great start. Send out all your offers. You want Lance <laughs> Lynn, right? He's going to help your fantasy team 1,000% yeah. pre-All-Star break. Yeah. By the way, also interesting, too, that the amount of guys that we can just, like, you can track of success with high usage of sliders that come up, come off of fastballs and guys who have just lost that fastball to dead center. It, it I mean, it's just one for one. And how many guys have found the success one way and have lost the success the other? Because mm-hmm. Lance Lynn's fastball heat map is just dead center, four miles per hour more average exit velocity against the fastball this year. It was like 87 last year. It's over 91 average exit velocity with a 280 batting average. The fast Fastball is setting everything up in the worst way for him. And he's even trying to throw it less. He threw it 46% of the time last year. It's down to 41%. And the other pitches, he's throwing the cutter, which is getting a little bit more whiffs, but he just doesn't have those others. He's trying to live mm-hmm. off that fastball. And when it's not there, it's we're seeing the results. We're seeing what's bad about all of it. Though the, there's a nice little catch to these strikeout pitchers. And Frank, I think you and I, I was kind of, I, for the most part, I've been with you on the like Lansland preseason stuff. You were the conductor, but I was definitely, you know, I had a ticket. And it's just one of those things where those strikeout pitchers, those guys that have high end strikeouts, even in all the bad stuff, you can just see the little light at the end of the tunnel if they can just get things right because there's elite strikeouts in there. And he's always been that guy. So I don't know. If could you have lived with a six ERA up to this year? Maybe not. Maybe you've been benching him, not starting him, but hopefully it's moving in the right direction. But that fastball has got to get better. I do wonder if a change of scenery is something that can help Lance Lynn get back on track. Baltimore would be awesome. Cincinnati. Given this hard contact, not so much. Yeah, that, that he's be the ideal. leader in homer. He gives up the most. He's given up the most homers in baseball by any single pitcher. Let's not let that. We actually looked at this the other day. It might have updated in 24 hours. There are five hitters in baseball who have hit more homers than Lance Lynn has given up. Only five. <laughs> 23 homers or more. Yeah. That's a crazy number. Yeah, that is a crazy number indeed. By the way, Lance Lynn against Jose Barrios, uh, I guess you can call that 
a pitching duel, can't you? It's time to do 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 I promised Twitter that I would play the soundbite for these two. Yeah, so, someone in the chat said they were looking forward to the Yu-Gi-Oh! So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's quickly talk about on the other side of this game, Jose Barrios. He threw seven shutout innings as well. One hit, one walk, six strikeouts with 10 swinging strikes. Lowers the ERA to 3.5 on the season with a 1.14 whip. Uh, Towers, this is pretty much prime Barrios. What we knew before last year, it just seems like he's back on track this season. Yeah, and it's... It's so weird because like he hasn't been a significantly different pitcher when you break out by like velocity and and spin rate and movement and all that. Like he doesn't look that much different, but obviously the results are very, very different and uh, didn't have a good explanation for why he was so bad last season. Don't really have a good explanation for why he's been so much better this season. The XERA actually not much better than it was last season. Last season, it was 5'11". Now, coming into this start, it was 4.74. I would imagine it's improved coming off of a very good start today, but I I don't really know how to make sense of Jose Barrios. Like, he's getting more strikeouts, but he's still right around an average strikeout pitcher. I, I tend to think sell high, given that he's, you know, been very good for most of the last two months, but... Uh, because I don't know what's fueling the good and what fueled the bad. I can't say with confidence either way. You could try. The one thing I'll point out, it's weird that his XERA is as high as it is because his average exit velocity against is down over two miles per hour compared to last year. So he actually does... He's done a better job of limiting hard contact this year. Jose Barrios has. You can try and shop him. Still might have some name value around the fantasy industry. But if not... I'm down to just kind of ride yeah. this and, and let's see where it goes. But for the most part, uh, Barrios has been rock solid with that 3.5 ERA on the season. Well, so let's go over to you. Oh, my goodness gracious, player of the night. So this one's going to kind of even turn into a question here. But Andres Jimenez, who has uh, darling for me in the preseason, someone I really I thought he was a guy that could uh, actually contribute into maybe the most stolen bases in the league. That would have been one of those guys I thought would really get into there. It's just been a weird offseason. But tonight, a homer. Three stolen bases. That's beautiful. Around 20% of the overall production. He's now up to 14 stolen bases. The home run total is up to seven. This is coming off of an a 253. Uh, first month, second month in May, hitting 230, combined three homers in there. June was 241. Then all of a sudden, it's picked back up. 333 in the month of July. Now two homers, six stolen bases. I think he's hit 293 over the last like 19 games was a stat you had put on there. But... My question becomes about this because I think this is encouraging. This is great. It's good to see overall. His also his hard hit numbers have improved in that time. That was another unique thing. Really garbage early on. Uh, as I'm looking to pull those back up. In May, he had a 19.7 percent uh, hard hit percentage according to Fangraphs. 32 in June, up to 42.9, not updated recently, and the soft hit percentage so far under 10%. So, hey, guess what? Hitting the ball harder, making better contact, getting better results. My question is this, though, when we ooh and ah over the performance tonight, is how much can we ooh and ah over recent performance of a player like Andres Jimenez when He's got one of the grosser baseball savant pages. And I know there's Uh been lots of talk about like, hey, how do we process all this? And uh, the nerds with all the stuff. But it's like, it's the worst exit velocity. It's one of the worst hard hit. It's bad expected Woba, bad expected batting average. He doesn't barrel. Guess what he also doesn't do? He doesn't walk. All of those Uh things are not good. There's not a redeeming factor in here. And these are typically those type of guys, those sub 5% barrel type of guys that it's like, there's not a lot of counting stats, and he hasn't been stealing bases at an elite level. So if he starts stealing bases more, that's good. But how much stock can you put into recent performances of what is everything we would battle against arguing for a player on a baseball savant page? Yeah, the towers you probably got to take on this. The thing, the thing that's been so weird is Scott's talk. Scott talks about this a lot. He's certainly not the first person to say it, but stolen bases are as much about ability as desire, right? And for some reason in May and June, he just didn't want to run. He had one stolen base in May, one stolen base in June. He got caught stealing once in each. So he was basically not running at all. Despite like 
in June, he had a 313 on base percentage. He got on base 31 times. It wasn't, you know, that's not great, obviously, but it's not a disaster. And then so far in June, he's played, or July, he's played six games. He has six stolen bases after tonight, three tonight. And he's hitting the ball way hard. 92 mile per hour average exit velocity in the month of July, 91.7 entering today. Before that, it was 82.2, 82.7, 82.3. That is about as slap hideous slap hitting gets. Uh, I was not an Andres Jimenez guy coming into the season. I, I the, the underlying numbers didn't really support the big breakout last season, so I thought there was regression coming. But I also thought he would be better than he has been so far. So I buy improvement. But I, I don't think it's like, okay, yeah, he's a star again. You know, like he looked last year. I, I think the truth is he's a light hitting middle infielder who doesn't run as much as he should. And if he wants to run more, I think Andres Jimenez could steal 40 bases. I mean, he's that like he's a 94th percentile sprint speed in this environment. He could be a 35, 40 stolen base guy. It's just a question of whether he wants to be. I, I think that's the path for him getting back to being a must-start fantasy player if this little run is is for real. I think and that I tend to think it's not. I tend to think yeah. this is a I'm on here you're Frank obviously I didn't mean to interrupt you but no, like I may sell in this. Like this to yeah. me is the opportunity to sell because there's nothing outside of a three stolen base game that's telling us that this is going to continue. Everything looks bad here. I just want out of the business, even if the whole package at the end of the year, we're like, oh, 12 homers, 15 homers, 25 stolen base. I want out from it because that offense has been putrid. Most yeah. of the underlying stuff is putrid. And we're also talking about like hard hit, average EV numbers through six days of a month and every step has been bad. It's encouraging that he's hitting the ball harder, but I just don't think there's anything that's telling us a long-term story where he will be a major impactful player. And how often are you going to get a guy kind of like the Lance Lynn situation, 11 strikeouts. How often are you going to get Homer three stolen bases and a gaudy July of stats from a player that this is pro this week run might be better than a month run he has in August. So I'm I'm a sell, Frank, but any different? I, I'm a little bit more encouraged by uh, Andres Jimenez. I think it's totally fine to try and sell, but I think most people who are looking at him are going to see the overall line and probably think the same thing that we are. It's been an underwhelming season. I don't know how much you'll get for Andres Jimenez. I'm just a little bit more, I guess, glass half full in the fact that he's getting better as the season has gone on. And the hard hit rate is up so far in the month of July. I know it's a really small sample size. If you just look at the rest of season projections from, let's say, the Bat X, for example, 268 with eight home runs and 14 steals. I think that's doable. And I think that's a really valuable player. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm more of like a buy on Andres Jimenez. I'm a little bit more optimistic there. Uh, can't really talk about adding him or anything. He's 85% rostered, so maybe in the shallowest leagues, and he is much better in a, in a category league, head-to-head -head categories, Roto, than he is in points for the reasons you guys pointed out. He does he not does. walk. Um, he does. He'll take a pitch, though. He may he like, make... He, on, on his elbow, not like... <laughs> he doesn't really take pitches. He, he basically swings at it if it's not hitting him, but he has yeah. been hit 15 times. He was hit 25 times last year. That's weird. That helps. That helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, I always love a guy who gets hit by a pitch. It's so weird that he doesn't run more, though. He's 53 yep, for know. 60 on the base. Him and Ahmed Rosario, career. both of them. Like, both so of those weird. guys should be running 35 times a year, and they haven't yeah. been. And especially in this environment, I just don't understand why neither of those guys has been more aggressive, especially on a team that's so desperate for offense. I yeah. wonder sometimes if there's something to not wanting all players to have green lights. If like, you know, maybe it's a managerial thing where it's like, all right, there's all, it's like a hall pass. There's only mm -hmm. so many green lights that I can give. <laughs> Quan, green light. Jose Ramirez, green light. Miles Straw, if you ever do anything, green light. Those are your green lights. And they, they want to be really situational of worrying about it. But also just pointing out like he could be put in a situation to steal more bases if he walked. And that was a mm -hmm. stupid thing even for me to think like, oh, he could steal a whole bunch of bases. You should, we should probably be targeting much higher walk percentage guys because when they're not hitting and they can go and get on base, that actually had me worried about Corbin Carroll at the beginning of the year. He didn't walk for three weeks. And I'm like, this is not good. What happens when you go through slumps? Andres Mendez doesn't do himself any favor outside of 
throwing that elbow out and getting binged a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 325 OBP on the season. Not great there for uh, Andres Jimenez. Let's take our first break. When we return, I don't know, maybe I'll talk about my player of the night. We're only, what, 25 <laughs> minutes into the podcast. We'll do that right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to follow us on TikTok, at FBTPod. If you are using TikTok on the desktop for some reason, I don't think anyone does that. TikTok.com slash at FBTPod, where we do take some highlights from the full length, the five-minute podcast, uh, big news of the day, players of the night, uh, covered up with some highlights. So we're putting out some fun clips. Uh, You can scan that QR code if you're watching us on YouTube. That will take you right to TikTok, where you can follow Fantasy Baseball Today. My player of the night is, uh, unfortunately, a, a bad one. And we spoke about him recently. I, I don't know if there's much else to add outside of the fact that just more confirmation. Luis Severino is broken. Two and two-thirds innings pitched, 10 hits allowed, seven earned runs, 11 hard hits in this game, 94.4 average exit velocity against. There is no way this guy is healthy right now. Just no way. The slider and cutter have absolutely nothing right now. It's a walk year for him. I almost kind of feel like both him and the Yankees kind of have this agreement where, like, let's try and get the most out of this as we possibly can. And, you know, he wants to pitch well so that he can get a contract, whatever it might be. And obviously, you know, the Yankees just need help in their pitching staff right now. But it all adds up to a 7.38 ERA and a 1.80 whip. He is 82% rostered. I would drop him for Tarek Skubal, who I think is up to, like, 73 or 76% mm-hmm. rostered. Would you guys drop Luis Severino for either of the Kyles? They're kind of... Next up on the most added list, Kyle Bradish and Kyle Hendricks, who are both pitching well right now. Uh, if you're desperate for someone to like, you're not for the next week, at least you're not desperate for someone to start. Right. Because neither. I guess Kyle Hendricks pitches this weekend, but Bradish pitched tonight. So you're not going to get anything from him for at least a week. I just think there's I, nothing, Chris. I think he has I, nothing right now. I think that's fair. But like the, the big thing with Luis Severino is look, the, the velocity is still mostly there. The biggest thing is just his his slider and cutter have been a disaster so far. His slider actually got a couple of whiffs tonight. Hooray. Uh, but he's not throwing either of them with confidence. He's throwing them way less often than he did last season. And the, the whiff rates on those two pitches have just completely collapsed. He doesn't have any confidence in those two pitches. He's not throwing them well. That being said, like if he's healthy, I still think Luis Severino certainly is a more talented pitcher than Kyle Bradish. And like Kyle Hendricks has had good results. He's got like a 14% strikeout rate. So I don't think Kyle Hendricks is back to being himself either. I think those are guys, Kyle Bradish, Kyle Hendricks, the right matchups, Kyle Bradish at home or against, you know, teams that can't really hit him hard on the road. I, I think he's fine to use. Like the Yankees are a good matchup right now. But I still think, like, if I'm projecting forward, the best case scenario for Luis Severino is a lot better than Bradish and Hendricks. And I just, I don't think you're going to miss Kyle Hendricks and Kyle Bradish if you don't add them right now. That, that's I, what it comes down to. And, and so even if the likeliest outcome is Kyle Bradish has a lower ERA than the Luis Severino, I think Kyle Bradish is probably a low fours ERA guy anyway. So I'm not really, like... I would drop him for Tarek Skubal because I think there's legitimate upside there. I would drop him for Alec Manoa, who's rostered in a similar range. There aren't that many interesting pitchers right now who I, besides those two, I think. I agree with this. I don't think I even realize how broken he really is. I mean, that not only is the slider less effective, the, the way his slider is getting destroyed, the whiff percentage is almost cut in half from last mm-hmm. year. It has not just a 296 batting average against, but a 357 expected batting average against. But throw on top of all of it is his changeup. 
has lost a significant amount of whiffs. It went from 31 down to 21%, even though it's the lowest batted uh, batting average against pitch. He's throwing it 21% of the time and not getting strikeouts. So you just want to talk about broken across the board. I was trying to look. I couldn't find it in time. I wanted to see what the stuff plus numbers looked on him. But uh, I would take him over. I completely agree with the statement you said. Like, no one's going to miss Bradish. Tariq Skubal, I would make that cut. And I'd be looking for maybe even the next rookie pitcher. Someone like... Um, Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I would, Grayson I, actually, Rodriguez, I would no drop doubt. him for Grayson Rodriguez, who has looked really good his last couple of starts in the minors. I, I think that's fine. 4-0 of the last couple, no doubt about that. Uh, looking more effective uh, with the secondary pitches. He had some absurd, his last start, it was like 50%, it's somewhere, I'm just rounding, but it was like 50% swing and uh, whiff rate and a 50 or close to 60% CSW percentage in his last start. So Grayson is no doubt, but I would even look at some guys that might be coming soon, like a Ben Brown, if the Cubs want to give him a shot. Huge strikeout numbers in AAA, really, really good fastball. That might I might look into the rookie prospect speculation of pitchers that are around AAA, Grayson being the best if available. Yeah, he was someone that I was going to bring up later on with some prospect updates, but you mentioned that last start, Welsh, with all the whiffs and the CSW. That start was on July 4th, six shutout innings with 12 strikeouts to zero walks for Grayson Rodriguez down at AAA. He has only one total walk over his last two starts, and in six starts since getting down, a 183 ERA, a .96 whip, 13.4 K per nine for Grayson Rodriguez. That is the pitcher we thought we were getting coming into the year one of the top p- pitching prospects in all of baseball, 55% rostered. And uh, I had this written down for later. You could tell me if I'm wrong. I think he is unequivocally the top prospect to stash right now in baseball, even more so than Christian Encarnacion's trend. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially with the impact needed uh, for in some of the pitching departments across the board. Yeah, uh, and Christian Encarnacion's trend, like, what are we doing? I don't even know. What's going yeah, on I don't anymore. know when he's going to get called up. Yeah. Positionally, it's tough. We were talking off air about Spencer Steer, as we all should be talking about Spencer Steer. But they've the Reds are in a glut of riches at this point. So, yeah, you want to talk about top potential prospects that can produce with Colton Kowser off the board. It is Without a doubt, Grayson Rodriguez, CES is number two. And then I think we're just jumping into a bigger batch. Maybe Colt Keith is number three, and then it's a batch of quite a few other players. But yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, top guy. If you can make that move, might burn, but do it. You'll thank us later for Grayson. Speaking of Encarnacion Strand, there was an article on The Athletic from C. Trent Rosecrans, who is arguably the most dialed in Reds beat uh, writer out there. And he wrote that, CES basically needs an injury or expanded rosters to get up to the Reds, which if there's no injury, we might be waiting until September to see Encarnacion trend, which it's unfortunate. I didn't think we would get to a point this season where we said the Reds have a logjam of talent where they, one of their top prospects cannot get called up because they're playing so well, but... That is where we we are at with the yeah, Cincinnati Yeah, got to make Reds. sure we get those Nixon zealot bats. It's very important. So. <laughs> hey, he was. I think he hit the go-ahead home run today for the ah, Reds. Yeah, yeah. So there He's you go. Salty. <laughs> uh, let's talk about what the Orioles did. By the way, I mean they clobbered Luis Severino and the Yankees. They put up 14 runs on 20 hits. Gunnar Henderson, one of the most awesome games you will see this season. Four for seven with a double dong, five RBI, and he had six hard hits in one game. And uh, I believe it was Towers here who wrote this information in, but uh, I've never seen this before. Apparently, it has been done before. Six hard hits in one game. Yeah, Austin Slater. Of the, the list of players who have had <laughs> six hard hit balls in a game during the Stackhouse era is kind of hilarious because like it is. some of them make sense. Reese Hoskins and Jock Peterson have done it. Austin Riley did it. But then you have guys like Austin Slater, Lourdes Gurriel, Catal Marte, he makes sense. He hits the ball really hard. Yeah. Denard Span <laughs> Ooh, had Denard six Spann. hard hit balls on June 2nd, 2017. I th- didn't think we were going to get a Denard Span uh, drop this week. But yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that one threw me for a bit of a loop. Apparently had six hard hit balls in, in a game in 2017. That sounds like StatCast had just come out and it was probably a little bit buggy back then and, and that's how he got his six <laughs> hard hits. They didn't update it. It was like the first run and they're like, yeah, we'll go with that. And they didn't ever update yeah. it. I love Denard Span, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't want to clown on Denard Span because I was a huge fan of him as well. So he was I, a good player. Yeah, I, I really, not, really liked him. Not a home run, not a hard hitter. 
No, not a know. six hard hit in a game guy. He, I mean, bottom of the list we're probably picking for this game, but that's a great pull. The point is, Gunnar Henderson is... Is he's awesome. Uh, Jordan Westberg, by the way, he is hitting well to start his career. Two for five with a double, an RBI, and two runs scored. He is still just 57% rostered, has gained third base eligibility on CBS. Probably going to get second base at some point as well. So I think that number should be higher than 57%. The last Absolutely. name here for the Orioles, uh, someone tweeted at me today. It was I'm pretty sure it was an Orioles fan. Uh, he said, you guys got to talk about Ryan O'Hearn. <laughs> well, here we are. We'll talk about Ryan O'Hearn. He went three for four. I don't think we have to. We can. <laughs> we can. We can. We sure. Can. We can mention him. We can mention him. Let's do it. Three for four with a walk and four RBI. And we should mention him because he's doing some interesting things. He's batting 308 with an 895 OPS, 93 mile per hour average exit velocity, a near 14% barrel rate. Expected numbers look pretty good. I mean, they're they're not as good as actual numbers. Um, he's not going to play against lefties. This is a deep league situation, but yeah. he's 8% rostered. Well, it's anything to see here. Ryan O'Hearn, this is like AL only, you know, 15-team league, like corner infield, something like that. To, I mean, to your credit of what you're saying, 56% harder hit rate is pretty wild to go with. I mean, man, you get that double-digit bar- uh, barrel percentage and then an over 50% hard hit percentage, and that kind of gets me going, but he's hitting 125 against lefties. He is a straight up split this isn't josh Lowe though this isn't going to be the next josh Lowe. but there's something there though would point out let's see how they construct their roster the rest of the year because if you could believe it there's still more prospects they still got more guys connor norby would be probably the next guy and a guy that doesn't help the situation but heston kerstad play is a lefty and he's been playing some first base since he's gone up to AAA. So just pointing out that this is cool about Ryan O'Hearn. I agree, maybe deep, deep leagues or AL only that he can platoon like this. But there are still a couple prospects if the Orioles just want to throw it all in. And I do expect to see both of those players in the near future. And I do think that would come at the expense of Ryan O'Hearn when it does happen. Well, so I know Kobe Mayo is crushing it right now in the minors, too. But he's down at yeah. AA, right? We probably don't see him this year. No, I don't think so. It, it would be uh, Kerstead, for sure. We'd, cause since the move over to uh, first base, Kobe plays third. Huge hard hit numbers, too. I've been boost- He's been steady increase across my prospect list throughout the year. But yeah, that's a guy that they're going to let settle. Might be an AFL guy. Orioles like to send out some pretty good prospects. But Norby and Kerstad are the next guys. Mayo, I don't think, is an option for this year. Hey, speaking of the AFL, I remember seeing Heston Kerstad out there in the uh, home run derby. Dude's got some big pop. He also has a really big leg kick, which maybe could be exposed at the major league level, but the, the power is for real uh, when it comes to Heston Kirstad. want to point out the Mets offense. They also had a big game here. They put up nine runs on 17 hits, and most notably, Francisco Alvarez, two for three with his 16th home run, back-to-back games with a homer. He leads all catchers, all of them, with 16 home runs in 214 plate appearances. He's also been like ridiculously clutch. I think he has five home runs in the seventh inning or later to put the Mets up. Yeah. The next closest behind him, Sean Murphy has 15 home runs in nearly 50 more plate appearances. So everything that you could have imagined for Francisco Alvarez, at least in terms of the power, is coming to fruition right in front of our eyes. He's Remember when we were worried about uh, Thomas Nito? We were like sitting back, we're like, man. <laughs> They, what are they going to do? Are they going to screw us on this one? But he has been uh, crazy, crazy impressive. Also, when you go and just look, you look at the line, it doesn't make sense. Hard hit numbers are garbage. XBA is garbage. But that's what's fun. Because I know people get all worked up. It's like, oh, you guys are always citing the same stuff. It's like, well, these are just some underlying things that tell us stories. But at the end of the day, you know, the clutchness of what he's done for fantasy outside of batting average is there and he's starting to get better and he's starting to look a lot better. And I would not have bet he was going to be the number one catcher as far as homers go. Just to watch out though, when you talk about those platoons hitting 138 against lefties this year, and he's playing, he's playing in every other month game, uh, which is not great. That shows the inconsistencies. 194 in April, 292 in May, 151 in June, up to 353 this month. So let's see if he can stabilize a little bit. I know last week we spoke about Francisco Alvarez. He's down to 73% rostered. We said that we would drop him for Henry Davis. I don't know. uh, Any remorse on that decision? No, I I still have Henry Davis ranked higher, but it's 9 and 10 in my catcher rankings. Yeah, it it is super close. I think Davis is probably the higher floor play at this point. He doesn't doesn't strike out as much. It looks like he's hitting for, you know, the plot of time yeah. edge for Davis. I mean, he's playing every day in the outfield. Yeah. Yeah. That helps too. So uh, it's close between those two. It's, 
it's fun. And you know, I mentioned this probably last year, even two years ago. I said there was a catcher renaissance coming with all these guys that are getting called up. It was first it was Adley Rutschman, but then we get Alvarez and Henry Davis, and there's even more guys coming in the next couple of years with like Harry Ford. Say, there, and, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. By the way, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, Henry Davis has started all but one game since he got called up. And I believe he entered that game as a pinch hitter. So he has appeared in every game yeah. since he called up. There's just no catcher who's playing as much as he is right now. Yeah, that is huge for uh, fantasy purposes there. Let's talk about some news and notes quickly, and then we'll hit a break. And then we just got to go, I don't know, rapid fire through everything else that we have here on the rundown. So the news and notes. Jose Altuve was placed on the IL with left oblique discomfort. MRI results showed just a minor issue. Uh, he didn't offer a timeline, but expressed optimism about returning shortly after the All-Star break. Rays manager Kevin Cash said he's very confident Shane McClanahan will start next Sunday against the Royals. He is on the IL with mid-back tightness. Max Freed will begin a rehab assignment with AAA this Sunday and could be back with the Braves by late July. Framber Valdez has been cleared to make his next start Saturday against the Mariners. He missed his previous turn with a sprained ankle. Cattell Marte was back in the lineup after missing two games with lower back discomfort. Tigers manager A.J. Hintz said Riley Green could be activated this weekend. He was batting 296 with five home runs and six steals in 52 games before getting hurt. And Riley Green, 70% rostered. So if you do play in a shallower league and you need some outfield help, I think Riley Green is a name that you can look at. And we were getting really excited right before he got hurt. He was doing some really, really nice things. So uh, would be looking to add Riley Green if I could. Matthew Liberatore was optioned back to AAA. Uh, I think I'll take the L on that one. I'm, I'm sure many people are taking L's right now on Liberatore, but uh, he basically looked as bad as he did last season. 6.75 ERA, a 184 whip in his time in the majors this year. Tommy Edmond has missed the past two games with pain in his wrist. MRI revealed no structural damage. Tristan McKenzie was transferred to the 60-day IL, which ensures he'll be out until at least mid-August. Cal Quantrill was placed in the IL with right shoulder inflammation, which means maybe Logan Allen will get another opportunity with the Guardians. Uh, we'll always have that one save from Daniel Hudson that we got on. This sucks. Uh, it really does, man. It's it, it it just sucks. Yeah, he suffered a sprained MCL Wednesday night in the other knee. Not even the same that he had surgery in. That is annoying. You know uh, what's wild, too? Just a side note. Like I saw him like three times pitch out here in Complex League while he was working his way back. And on 4th of July, I didn't have anything going on in the morning. I snuck over to the Dodgers Complex. And that place is so wild. Because if you go in the midday, it was an early thing. They, it is just a, it's like a all star roster of guys that are just hanging around. It was like Dustin May had thrown the other day. I saw Walker Bueller throw a little bit. Uh, Ryan Pepio was there. Gavin Luck. I mean, you've got all these guys that are just walking around the complex and it's just another player there. I don't know if there's a complex out there that has just more injured players just wandering aimlessly. And poor Daniel <laughs> Hudson might have to take a cart around, too, if he does. Yeah. And there's no official timetable, but they said he's going to be out, quote, quite some time. Evan Phillips back in the driver's seat in the Dodgers bullpen. Kid Brian Hayes was activated from the IL and Rowanzi Contreras was optioned back to the minors. Martin Perez will have his next turn in the rotation skipped. He currently has a 481 ERA to go along with a 148 whip. Last but not least, Brett Beatty was out of the lineup due to hamstring soreness. Let's take our final break. And when we get back, we'll talk about everything else here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back, and let's get into it. We will talk about some big hitting performances from Thursday. Let's start it off with Cody Bellinger, who went four for four with his eighth home run, two runs, and three RBI. On the season now is batting 298 with eight home runs and 10 steals in 55 games. Obviously missed some time there with a knee injury. The good news is an 18% strikeout rate is Cody Bellinger's best since 2020. The bad news is that the underlying numbers, the quality of contact, the expected stats, none of it is buying what Cody Bellinger has done this season. Uh, Towers, would you like to apologize and uh, maybe take back what you said about Cody Bellinger? Uh, no, I, I understand like that this guy was an MVP candidate for, was the MVP four years ago and has had several good months in the four years since then. I don't know. Like, I'm rooting for him. I hope I'm wrong. I don't buy it at all. 
like his quality of contact metrics, you know, you know we, we make fun of the guy who calls Ronald Acuna a slap hitter on Twitter a lot. Cody Bellinger actually looks like a slap hitter right now. His max exit velocity is 36 percentile. Average exit velocity, sixth percentile. Her hit rate, fourth percentile. Expected Woba is 294. Last season, it was 278. So, hey, improvement. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this is a situation where he does pull the ball a lot and he hits the ball in the air. And so that is a con- combination of things that can make him outperform his expected Woba. But we're talking about dreadful expected stats we're not talking about like well the expected stats are decent and then you can add on top of them this is like the expected stats say that cody bellinger has, has been really really bad and the actual numbers are pretty good so i like you compare him to the other guy that you have in in this group christian yelich who also i mean he was second to cody bellinger in the 2019 mvp i believe and then similarly has fallen on harder times over the past couple of seasons has been much better than Cody Bellinger in the past two seasons in particular, but similar career trajectories and bouncing back and having a very similar season to Cody Bellinger. The difference is Christian Yelich's 93rd percentile average exit velocity, 88th percentile max exit velo, 95th percentile hard hit rate, expected WOBA, Really, really good. 383. That's the best it's been since 2019 when he was an MVP candidate. So it's like, I am perhaps a curmudgeon, perhaps a contrarian. Perhaps I like to uh, poo-poo the hot thing that everybody is enjoying. And then maybe that's a negative character trait of mine. Maybe it's, I'm not the kind of person you want to have drinks with because I will tell you why the drink you ordered is terrible. I don't know. (laughs) But... Trade I hope you don't actually do that, but no, I would never do that. That's okay. that's. I mean, I don't love whiskey, and so like if someone buys me a whiskey shot, I, I'm kind of not super excited about it. But it's fine. <laughs> but that being said, trade Cody Ballinger. What a day for the Welsh man. We're here breaking Corbin Carroll injury news to him, and now he finds mm-hmm. out Towers doesn't like whiskey. I mean, <laughs> this is a rough game. Like bourbon, that's a one of my brands. Corbin Carroll and bourbon, I think. Yeah, you know, an interesting one too is um, I was gonna say, I don't know, we won't spend a ton of time on it, but like, is there a bigger fraud as far as production versus what underlying stats tell you than Cody Bellinger? It's pretty, it's pretty dramatic. And even though statistically, like you were saying, Yelich and him look similar, it's wild to see that Yelich has double the hard hit percentage and double the barrel percentage. I mean, it is a sweet spot of what I want. Give me 10% barrel, give me 50% hard hit and let's run. Cody Bellinger is at the bottom. He is half of what that is underlying it's it's pretty hard to believe that Cody Bellinger will be able to sustain where Christian Yelich looks like he has kind of gotten back into the things that made him a great player in the past. He's making the right decisions and underlying stuff is in his favor. Fastballs don't get by him. He's destroying fastballs mm-hmm. and you're seeing the results. And well, so you asked the question, uh, is Cody Bellinger perhaps overperforming more than any other hitter in baseball? Well, according to StatCast, he has the sixth highest difference between his WOBA and his expected WOBA in a bad way. So he is among the league leaders in players who have outperformed that so far this season. And Mm. I know sometimes it's hard for people to separate like fandom from fantasy. You know, people listen to this podcast and they get annoyed when we say something negative about a player. It's like, we are just telling you what the stats say to us. I hope I'm wrong. Yes. I genuinely hope I'm wrong. Cody Bellinger was so good when he was good. I just... He's had like one good month in the past three years. Like it's really hard to buy in. We have to keep it real, man. I mean, that, that's that's what we're here to do. It's you know, it's not just read off the surface level numbers and say, oh yeah, you know, Cody Bellinger is going to be this good for the rest of the year. It's we're here to tell you what did the underlying numbers say? Is this sustainable? And right and now, also, it, like it doesn't say that's true for Cody Bellinger. So how many power hitters? If we were to go and do the math, how many good quality, decent power hitters in baseball have a sub five percent? barrel percentage and a 27% hard hit percentage. Those are just things that don't equate necessarily. I mean, there might be a guy or two. Someone could be like, well, I found one. Okay, great. You found one. But the majority, you're not going to find high quality hitters over a season that have that poor of both barrel and hard hit. The, The one example, and even this is not as extreme, but Chris Bryant, 
like Same. consistently. Well, yeah, but when he was at his best, he consistently outperformed his expected metrics. So like guys can do that. And it's again, hitting the ball in the air, hitting the ball to the pull side. Those can help you do that, but it's still like Chris Bryant was putting up 340 X Wobas with 380 actual Wobas at his best. Again, C- Cody Bellinger's 294 X Woba. That's a that's a big gap. Yeah. We are doing a great job of uh, doing this rapid fire style, so let's keep it moving. <laughs> let's go over to some waiver wire pitchers from Thursday's action. Two names here. It sounds like you guys are not too excited about Kyle Bradish. Jack Flaherty, I, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's been really inconsistent this year. He's had some really good starts. He's had some very bad starts. This one at the Marlins was pretty good. Six and two-thirds shutout innings, nine hits allowed, five strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 111 pitches. Velocity was up across the board. His fastball was up 1.4 miles per hour. The curve up 2.5 miles per hour. So some good things there for Jack Flaherty. For the most part, the walks had been a real, real issue for him this Uh season. Kyle Bradish drew six shutout innings with five strikeouts, only seven swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Welsh, I'll throw these two names your way. Anything to see here, or are you just kind of uh, keeping it moving with Jack Flaherty and Kyle Bradish? I, I think it's relatively keeping it moving. I mean, I would be very interested to see if maybe he was a part of a trade if the Cardinals started to move off guys, maybe a change of scenery. But I don't know, the walk percentage to the Ks that really get out there, to the weird catching stuff that's going on, and the expected stats not telling us this awesome story. I'm, I think this is borderline stream. Like borderline streamable, you think, with uh, Jack Floyd? I think that's like the general space of him. Same thing with Bradish. Bradish to me is like a step under that. Okay. I, I think maybe I'll put Bradish a step ahead of Flaherty, yeah. but they're in the same range. They're, I think they're both mostly streamers at this point. Maybe Kyle Bradish you trust a little bit more, maybe. at least based on the, the results that he's provided this season. In deeper leagues, Carlos Carrasco had his best start of the season at the Diamondbacks. Eight shutout innings with four strikeouts in that one. And even after this great start, He has a 5.16 ERA and a 143 whip. Two other names in deeper leagues, both Sparps on CBS. Christopher Sanchez continues to pitch well. A strong start at the Rays. Six innings, one run allowed, only two strikeouts. Uh, Did have eight swinging strikes on 75 pitches. Changed up his pitch mix in this start, threw his changeup a ton, and that is a really good changeup, at least so far this season. 47% whiff rate, 125 batting average against I'm I'm pretty interested in Christopher Sanchez. I, I like what he's doing here. Renel Blanco is the other name. Turned in a quality start versus the Mariners. Six innings, three runs, nine strikeouts. With 18 swinging strikes, his slider and changeup, they both have higher than a 40% whiff rate this season. That's good. The problem, his fastball gets crushed. Lots of swinging strikes there. Uh, Towers, anything to see here with Ronel Blanco, Christopher Sanchez, and Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, Sanchez is kind of interesting. The, the one thing, though, is he's had like elite, elite control so far in his five major league starts. 1.42K per nine. That is a minuscule number. He has really bad control basically throughout his minor league career. 5.26 uh, walks per nine at AAA this season. 3.14 last year. That's not terrible. But then 5.92 the year before at AAA. So if he can sustain the walk rate or, you know, there'll be some regression from 1.42 per nine. But if, if he can be a good walk rate guy, I think he's a pretty interesting pitcher because of the ground ball rate, because, you know, he's not going to get a ton of strikeouts, but it's not Kyle Hendricks. It's just I don't buy the walk rate. So he's got to prove more. But I think he's worth adding for you know streaming purposes. One okay. thing I wanted to add, not to belabor it, but uh, Carlos, Car- there's a weird thing I saw before the game that Carlos Carrasco, I, I don't know how true it is, but we can see it. This was a, a published article that Carlos Carrasco found a new slider grip just going through videos, finding, I think he found, it said he found it on Instagram or TikTok and he found <laughs> some slider grip. And then in this game, his slider had a 50% whiff rate and a 44% CSW. So just want to throw it out. He threw it 17% of the time. Don't know how much that equated to this new grip he found, but it was a very, very effective pitch against the Diamondbacks. So just uh, another one of those weird, quirky things about pitchers. Yeah, something we'll watch moving forward with Carlos Carrasco. I don't know that we've ever done the worryometer for just one player, but I'm about to do it because I want to talk about Nathan Avaldi. His velocity was down once again at the Boston Red Sox. Five and a third innings, four runs allowed, four walks in this start. 
two starts in a row with four walks for Nathan Avaldi, and he has now averaged under 95 miles per hour on his fastball in three of his past four starts. That is 95.6 miles per hour on the season. And I don't... Look, he didn't say that he's pitching through anything. He said it's like a mechanical issue right now, but Mm -hmm. I feel like in the past, at least in recent years, when Nathan Avaldi has tried to pitch through injury, it's been with lower velocity. So that's the first place that my mind goes. And over his last six starts, he has an ERA just over four, a one-two-one whip. Towers, the worryometer on Nathan Avaldi. Uh, I'll, I'll say four. I, I didn't buy Nathan Avaldi as being just like all of a sudden an ace, you know, a top 15 starting pitcher. He's He's remained, I think, in like the 30 range for me at starting pitcher. So like... In that regard, I'm not too concerned because I I expect him to be more like a mid to high threes ERA guy moving forward, and that's basically what he's been over this run. But I certainly can't say zero given the the walks and the the velocity. You know, that the that they identified a mechanical tweak and that his velocity was up in his previous start doesn't make me think that like this could be fixable. Uh, but obviously the fact that it dipped down again is a little concerning. Is there anything actionable we could do, right? It's, I mean, do you try and sell while the overall numbers still look really, really good or? Yeah. I mean, I, I still think like he's going to pitch worse than his overall numbers right now. You know, his overall, overall numbers still make him look like one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I don't think he's going to be that. So like if someone values him that way, then yeah, I think there's a, a sell window, but I think the cell window was a month ago. All right, let's get into some leftovers here. We'll start with the pitchers. Freddie Peralta posted his second double-digit outing of the year. Double-digit strikeout outing, I should say. Five and a third, three runs allowed, 10 strikeouts with a career-high 28 swinging strikes for Freddie Peralta. Velocity was way up across the board for him in this start. The problem is more of the same. Inefficiency, walks, home runs being a big issue for Freddie Peralta this season. He's got a 4.70 ERA and a 1.30 whip on the season. Yuri Perez, strong bounce back versus the Cardinals. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes there. George Kirby, uh, a quality start at the Houston Astros. Six and two-thirds innings, one run, three strikeouts. And while filling out his pitching line and some of his underlying numbers, I just found myself saying under my breath, he is so boring. George Kirby is so boring, but he's good. He, you know, he gets it done. It's a good ERA. It's a good whip. It's just, you know, the strikeouts are so uninspiring for him. And Julio Arias, a nice bounce back start up against the Pirates. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts there. Welsh, lots of names, lots going on here. Arias, Kirby, Yuri Perez, Freddie Peralta. Anything you'd like to add on this group? Uh, just lately, I watched a lot of that Freddie Peralta stra- start. Uh, the stuff pops just getting later into games is always going to be the problem. He's always going to be a negative or at least a down in uh, quality starts leagues. It's just not something he can do, but the strikeouts were awesome. He looked fantastic. Yuri, we should be very encouraged about that this is continuing going on. And Julio Urias, Urias um, inducing a lot of that weak contact and getting back to himself. These are all positives, and I couldn't agree more. George Kirby is super boring. Like The only thing they could talk about in the broadcast was how mad he gets when he walks a guy. He's just, oh, he hates walking guys. He just, he got a pitch to contact. And it's like, that's boring. He is. He's, he's the new Carlos Silva. Except <laughs> yeah. he throws 97 instead of 87. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just pitch behind the back. Is that the right, the is that the right name? Carlos Silva? Did I pull that one out? I don't know. I mean, sure. that's probably more of a Welsh question than me. It's how long ago was Carlos Silva pitching? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Carlos Silva, like eight years. Point four walks per nine in two thousand and five. Jeez, oh, there you go. Two thousand five. I was in high school, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I was in high school too. We. I wish that's Kirby a long was time more ago. like Cliff Lee with the walks, yeah, the strikeouts, and not Carlos Silva. That would be. I wish you were saying Cliff Lee, but he doesn't get the strikeouts. That's the. That is the thing. I. I think George Kirby would be a better pitcher if he was more willing to walk to throw pitches out of the zone, not to walk guys, but to throw more pitches out of the zone. But the that's that is who he is and like he he does not want to walk anyone he talks about that a lot two quick questions on yuri perez something i absolutely should not do on july 7th but it's just a fun talking point towers where do you think just right now where will yuri perez be ranked as a starting pitcher heading into next season 
he's going to get drafted as a top 25 starting pitcher next year. I mean, if he throws so. 50 more innings, he gets to about 120, uh, maybe even maybe 130. You know, he was at 77 last year. Let's give him 20, 60 more innings. He gets to 125, so you could project 175 innings for him next year. Yeah, what what we've seen, like he went heavy on the slider today. The, they were talking about on the broadcast, and it was awesome. He was great, and he's just, I think he's the real deal. I think he's a legitimate ace. Mm-hmm. I was, I pulled up this year's ADP to see if there was like a comp in terms of a breakout hype guy that was going around that range and you know there there really wasn't i know you know as draft season went on guys like jeffrey springs got pushed up the draft board and reed detmers and stuff like that but yeah maybe where were were gilbert and and kirby going you know maybe yeah excitement around i think the the i think he's better yeah Yeah, i think he's a lot more exciting Uh, 25 was my number by the way as well so i'm i'm with you the other kirby was like 30 at starting pitcher the other quick question on Yuri Perez. Well, someone asked me this today on Twitter, and I think it's a good idea, at least knowing what we know right now and that Yuri Perez could be limited in the second half of the season, maybe shut down at some point. Would you look to sell high on him and kind of a combo by low on Julio Arias, who also pitched today? I think it's a great idea. I think it's a phenomenal idea. I hate doing it because if the world breaks and something changes and the Marlins find the way to do it, you hate to sell out on that. But mm-hmm. that is this is like what you do. You sell yeah. the rookie. If you could actually go get Urias, you know, the Dodgers are going to make their moves. They're going to the Diamondbacks are falling apart in front of our eyes. The Dodgers are going to capitalize and jump on it. And Julio Urias will be maybe the most important piece of that outside of Kershaw being healthy. So, yes, absolutely. make. Yeah, that. we're saying Yuri Perez will be a top 25 starting pitcher next year well so will Julio Arias yeah. you know yeah I think that's fair uh, all right. yeah Go. we got a we got a an email sorry like the, during the middle of the second inning drop Arias three question marks <laughs> don't email during during a start guys yeah he winds up not until they're pulled from the game <laughs> six innings three hits two runs one walk eight strikeouts for Julio Arias a four. No, se- you should no, no. You should not drop him. A four seventy six ERA. I get it. He's you know he's been a disappointment this year and he's been injured. But I mean, Arias has been one of the most consistent pitchers over the past three years. So yeah, something I would be uh, looking to do as well. A few bullpen updates. Cincinnati Reds. Alexis Diaz gave up an unearned run, but picked up his twenty fifth save and is now tied for the league lead with Camilo Doval and Jordan Romano this season for the Brewers. Devin Williams was unavailable. Yoel Piamps picked up his third save of the season. For the Cardinals, right back to Jordan Hicks, who threw a clean ninth inning for his sixth save. Only 57% rostered still, and I am on record. I've said it time and time again. I think he's running away with his job. I know he had the weird blown save on Wednesday night, but uh, Jordan Hicks has looked really good in the closers role for the Cardinals. For the Blue Jays, in game one of their doubleheader, Jordan Romano pitched the 10th inning with the game tied. He wound up with the win. Yimmy Garcia picked up his first save. And then in game two, Nate Pearson got the final four outs for his first save of the season. And then I am seeing the Dodgers. They probably wanted to give Evan Phillips another day off. I know he's been used a lot lately. Alex Vesia entered with a three-run lead. He struck out one and picked up his first save of the season. I believe just got called up today. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was rehabbing at uh, camp like two weeks ago, and then he got up to the minors. And I believe Bruzdar is just dealing with like a thing. For the yeah, he was week. added to the IL, right? I don't know if he went on the IL, but I know he's I dealing he, with like a shoulder. He's not thing. available right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's why we saw Alex Vesey get the save here on Thursday. Let's wrap up with to stream or not stream, and we will start with Friday. Who I I did this for the newsletter for tomorrow, and this is not a great weekend. There's a lot of TBAs on the schedule right now, but this is not a great weekend for streamers. No, it is not. Friday, I like Aaron Savali versus the Royals. Yep. I... We said it yesterday. I don't think you could start Alec Manoa in his first start at the That's Tigers. That's what I wanted to know if you guys were going to do it. I won't. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm going to any book, and I'm looking at what his walk prop is going to be if they post it. I'm taking the over. I'm not betting Manoa, except yeah. on his walks over. No. I would not, but I think you should add him. Yeah, I think he's right around 70, 75% rostered at this point. That is Alec Manoa. On Saturday, yeah, not much uh, going on here. I guess Brian Wu at the Astros is is okay. Yeah. It's not a great matchup, but there's no Jose Altuve, so that obviously helps. 
Which one is Heaney pitching? We have him under Friday and Saturday. I like whichever one he's pitching. <laughs> I think the problem is the Nationals are actually good against lefties. They are. They're like ninth in the majors in OPS against lefties, and I believe they have like the second lowest strikeout rate against lefties. Yeah, they are. Because that, that was that was one I identified initially, and then I started researching, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I actually. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Andrew Heaney had a good start. Yeah. He's capable of that. It's just. The I'm matchup wasn't still, as good I as I liked. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more about just what's available. <laughs> and again, yeah. there's not much. So I think it's Brian Wu at the Astros. Mm-hmm. Heaney at the Nationals on Saturday. I think it's okay. Same thing with Drew Smiley. He's been not great over the past month or so, but neither have the Yankees. So I think that's a, a route you could go down. On Sunday, same thing. Kyle Hendricks at the Yankees. I think that's fine. And uh, yeah, Yankees are 26th in OPS against right right handed pitchers since June 1st. I don't really like anything else. Brandon Belak had a good start against the Rockies last time out, maybe against the Mariners. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah. All right. Rough weekend here for streamers, but we tried. For the Chris's, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.